So today we're into sermon number four in our series on God's power in the book of Acts. We started the series at Pentecost with Joe Penner leading us off with the first sermon. God came powerfully at Pentecost and this whole crowd of people listened to Peter preach. The Holy Spirit was working and different uh, people were hearing them in different languages and on. And it was a marvelous, glorious event. Then the second sermon we had where God used Peter and John as vessels of grace for, toward the, the lame man in the temple where he was uh, brought and they were going to give him some money to... Um, to pay for his needs that he had. And Peter says, I don't have money. What I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, uh, stand up and walk. And he walked. And, and that started a big ruckus. And a lot of people heard Peter preach after that. And a lot of people became believers after that. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they got wind of it. And they came and they were upset and angry. And, and they arrested Peter and John and threw them in prison overnight. And then the third sermon we had was where God gave Peter the special power and John the special power to have courage and to face the threats of the religious leaders. We told you not to preach in this man's name. And they said, who should we listen to? You are God. You figure it out. We're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the only one, and so on. Then last Sunday, we took a short little break from our sermon series. We talked about the fatherhood of God. God loves his children, everyone who comes to him, and so on. Today, we're continuing our sermon series, and we're in our fourth sermon series we're talking about the importance of integrity. It's not enough to just be a part of, a, of, an, of an organization or a part of a body. It's also very important that we are genuine. And this is where we all fail. We all fall short. There's nobody who never misses the mark. Not one of us always gets it right. So our focus will be on how God dealt with some people when they intentionally violated this. There's a difference between slip-up and falter versus intentional calculated moves. Today is a story of a very sad and tragic and negative event that happened in the Bible. It's always exciting to read positive stories where we can learn from the story, but not all stories are like that. Some stories are very dark and negative stories with dark consequences. Bad things happen. We're going to read of a couple, a man and his wife, who fell into this trap of temptation, and they thought it looked good. They thought they could look good without being good. They thought they could look good without being good. They thought it would work, and it didn't. And see, that's what happens when people lose their fear of God. And they think, okay, I can pretend to be what I'm not. And I want to just give a little backdrop, kind of like when you paint a picture. I want to paint a little backdrop why this is so important, why this is so, so critical in our lives. You see, um, well, before we read Acts chapter 5, let me just tell a few, say a few things. One preacher once said this, he said, Jesus got in trouble with the leaders of his time, not because he was too strict, he was not strict enough in their eyes. For instance, uh, we won't read these passages here, the next ones, uh, few, I, just, I just plugged them in here early this morning as I was getting ready, I hadn't printed my sermon out actually already, but I just plugged them in here. In Mark 7, won't read that, it says that Jesus was criticized for his disciples. Your disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. It's the rule. And Jesus says, why are you worried about that? It's, that's not the important part. The important part is what's in the heart. There was another rule they broke. Um, Jesus was healing on, on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees said, uh-uh, you shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath. You come back tomorrow if you want to get healed. You shouldn't do it on the Sabbath day. And, Jesus, and it actually says in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, that Jesus was angry and sat at the same time over these hard-hearted leaders. They were so particular, and Jesus, Jesus was, just wasn't going to have it. Then there was another time in Mark chapter 2, 23, where Jesus is walking. His disciples are picking grain and eating, picking grain and eating. Uh-uh, you shouldn't be doing that. It's breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, come on. Haven't you read of King David, what he did? 
You can follow these scripture passages, Mark 2, verse 23, but won't read that now either. So Jesus was not strict enough. They wanted him to be as strict as the Pharisees were, the religious leaders of his day. The question I thought about what I'll ask before we go into our sermon today is, what would he do today? Where would the focus be? Well, we know some of the things he did say. In response to these hard-hearted leaders of his time in Matthew 23, verse 25, it says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. That's not nice talk. He's not saying the outside shouldn't be clean. He's not saying it's okay to be dirty inside. It's not what he's talking about. He's saying, okay, if you're going to clean one, you should clean the other two. Don't pretend to be what you're not. That's what he's saying. Well, if we jump prior to that, Matthew 23, 24, he actually says, blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, I mean a small insect, but you swallow a camel. Jesus was saying, things are important to God, but you have to differentiate. You have to be careful what you put, number one, what you put first. Don't try to look good when you're not good, and that's where the problem was. Whatever it was the Pharisees were into, they were into it for themselves, and Jesus called them out. That kind of living has always been part of our world, and it's not right. So how do we find our way through life, not fall into this trap of focusing the wrong things? What should we do? Well, let's begin with an honest heart. We don't have life altogether. We will forget. We will slip up on the spur of the moment. We will say things we shouldn't say, go places we shouldn't go, do things we shouldn't do. The question is not will we fall, the question is what do we do when we fall? That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why there's grace. That's why there's forgiveness. Our first and foremost concern should always be, is what we do glorifying to God? And if we glorify God and love people, then we've covered the basics. When the early church started, that was what it was about. But there were people at that time, as there are people today, who wanted just enough to look good without actually being good. They were self-pleasing. Just like our storyteller, she didn't want to be looked as a sawbreaker kind of rhymes. She wanted to be looked as a good person, and, who, and wouldn't we all? Every one of us would. And that is the problem. We don't want to be seen for who we are. In Acts chapter 4, we have the story of the people have everything in common. They're sharing, they're selling, they're, they're giving, donating money. And then Acts chapter 5, the tragedy begins. Let's read verse, Acts 5 verse 1. There was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. We don't know which real estate agent had it on the listing. We don't know how much money they got for it. But as a public event, everybody knew they sold some property. A normal, ordinary, church-going couple. And nothing wrong with what they did. It was all good. The problem was not what they did. The problem was why did they do what they did? So many people can do the exact same thing for a variety of reasons, and this couple had the wrong motive. Let's read verse 2. It says, He, meaning Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. He fudged the books. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. They were in on it both. They decided they did not need to be transparent. They did not need to be honest. They did not need to tell the truth. They were in on the deception. They wanted to look good without actually being good. They wanted to look generous without being generous. What did Ananias do? He claimed it was the full amount, but it wasn't. 
people in this world fall into two basic categories. They're focused on self or focused on others. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of shade in between. I get that. I know that. I understand that. But let's be honest. Nobody's perfect. We all fail. Yes, we all stumble. But how do we respond when we do? There are degrees to which this takes over in our lives. You know, if you lie once, the second lie comes easier. If you lie three times, the fourth time hardly makes a difference. And then lie after lie after lie. And it happens all the time. Yeah, I didn't come into work because I was sick. No, actually, I went fishing. You know, it's wrong. Yeah, I, I actually did this much, but I actually only did this much. God knows. That contaminates the church. Like I said, we can all miss quote, or we can all get something wrong, but when it's calculated, deliberate, intentional uh, deception, it's wrong. It's about self. This man was all about himself. Do you know that there's no such thing as a self-focused person of integrity? They don't exist. And I'm here not to judge and condemn anybody who's fallen into this trap at some point or other because we are all guilty. James says whoever breaks, keeps the whole law of sins on one point is breaking all of it, just like a chain. I remember many years ago, There's a community near which we lived. They needed a pastor, maybe 30 years ago. And so they, they wanted a pastor. And a pastor couple was hired to come over there and to pastor that church. Well, not, they, were, they had several pastors to that particular ministry. And as this ministry unfolded, it became very evident and open that the reason he came was not the reason they called him. He had ulterior motives. A very sad and disappointing situation. And, and, and eventually it became out, came out, and it, once, once he was done with what he came for, he had, I won't go into detail, I'll leave this couple unnamed. But it was very, very sad. The reason he came to that community was not the reason he was hired, and once he had gotten what he wanted, he left. That was wrong. False motives. How many an employer, some of your bosses here, know what it's like. This guy comes in, I want to, I'm applying for a job, fills out this, has got this nice resume, fills it out, and three weeks in you find out, whoa, whoa, what did we hire? What's, and you know, he has no desire, no passion, no drive, no nothing. All he's there just to put in the time, get the paycheck, and that's all he wants. I was in Tim Horton some years ago, and I was trying to get coffee there, and there was this, this table full of some, some guys there, sitting there talking, and I just overheard, and one guy says, uh, yeah, he works at, uh, he's employed, he works at so-and-so. And no, he says, he's employed there, but he's not actually working there. There's a difference. When integrity's missing, things fall apart. Ananias and Sapphira were not a couple of integrity. What does verse 3 say? Uh, chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. Then Peter said, Ananias. Now remember, he's just claimed. That's what we got for the, for the property. Peter says, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You were not lying to us, but to God. Hard words. If somebody would have asked Ananias the day before, hey, good deal on the property. So what are you going to do with it? I'm going to give money to the church. Oh, I'm just going to keep some of myself. Isn't that wrong? No. He would have denied it. 
He wanted to look like a generous giver. What did Jesus call that in Matthew 24, 20, uh, 23, 25? He says, he says, it's filthy. You see, some people want to have their cake and eat it too. Pretty soon I'm going to put a cake on there. People want to have their cake and eat it too. You can't do that. The problem was not the land. The problem was not the sale. The problem was not the money. Nothing was the problem. His heart was the problem. That's what the problem was. What did it cost him? Everything that he held dear. Because God was not number one. He himself was number one. It says in verse 5, let's read verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him and buried him. Ananias lost out. That's how sin works. Sin will never keep a promise. Short term, maybe, for a few days, maybe, temporarily, maybe, but it will. It, sin always has your destruction in its crosshairs. Sin always has your demise in its agenda. People somehow buy into it. It'll work, it'll work. Ananias paid for the sin of greed and deception with his physical life. I've often struggled with this story and said, Come on, God, why don't you give him a break? Why not just warn him? Give him a warning. You see, you and I have no idea what had already happened before. How many warnings maybe this man already had. All we know is that he calculated, he intended, he planned a deception, and it didn't work out for him. There's a verse in the Bible, the book of Numbers, the Old Testament, chapter 32, verse 23. It says this way. Numbers 32, 23 says, If you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure your sin will find you out. It's easy to promise, but following through is hard. I had a conversation with a gentleman some years ago. He talked about the financial commitments he had made. I'm going to do this X, Y, Z thing, money. And he said, I already knew later on it's going to be tough. And he said, but I still did it anyway, no matter how hard it was. Conditional obedience to to the call of God is never acceptable. And what makes the story so ugly, so terribly ugly, is it's not over. I would just like to end the story right here and say, okay, you know what, actually, okay, let's just close that chapter. It's over now. Okay, too bad, Ananias, sorry. But hey, it's not over. Verse 7. Three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? At this point, if I had said, Peter, hold it, hold it, hold it. You already know it's not. Why not just warn her? Why not just say, Sapphira, God has bad news. Your husband died for lying to, to, about the money. Please tell us the truth. Or please just, just, don't, just don't even let her get that far. But No. She too had the same plan. They decided they did conspire together. All the alarm bells should have been ringing in this woman's head. She should have been terrified. At this point, when Peter asked the question, the alarm bells should have been going. He asked a legitimate question. This woman was in the same moral path of self-focus as her husband. But here she was given the chance to do the right thing. Here was one more exit on the road to demise, to destruction that she could have taken. You know what? I know my husband and I, we decided to lie about this. You know what? I'm just going to tell the truth. I'll just, I'll just come clean. So Peter asked, what's the price? And again, I think if I was Peter, I would just say, okay, look, Sapphire, we know what you did. Just tell us and, and it will all be good, okay? Please, please, just be honest. I don't have full answers, but I do know this. God in his sovereignty knows at what point in time he pulls away the restraints and then that person has passed the point of no return. And I do not know where those points are. 
I do not know when a person reaches that. But this woman, this man had reached that point, and so had the woman. And I'll say this, unless the grace of God draws us, we can't even avoid that. But today we're under grace, and we can avoid those situations. You see, some people can look good, act good, pretend to be good for a long time. Ultimately, however, the underbelly of deception will come out. The pride and deception will rise to the top. And as the number says, be sure your sin will find you out. But what does she say? The last part of verse 8 and then verse 9, she says, yes, she replied, that was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even conspire? Think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out. This is a horror story. I'm glad I wasn't Peter. And, I, and God knows, I mean, I'm not, I'm not putting that in a lighthearted way, but nobody wants that. The couple had a plan. They thought it was going to work. And God says, you're not going to contaminate my church. They tested the Holy Spirit and they paid for it with their lives. And again, I'm glad for the grace of God in the world today that he does not call everyone to the same level of ministry called Peter to pronounce physical death to people. What an awful assignment. A level of service nobody wants. But this is what make-belief Christianity comes to. God's judgment fell on her and she died, it says in verse 10. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. What had happened? God did something extraordinary here. This was not a common, normal method of dealing with sin. It still isn't. What would happen if all of a sudden God says, okay, we're going to use the Acts chapter 5 method now dealing with sin in the church. What would happen to us? And I'm thankful God does not always do this. But the reason he did this, he wanted to send a message. This is how serious I take integrity, how serious I am with you living upright and moral lives. It says, great fear gripped the church, and everyone else heard what had happened. There was, there was, there was a jolt. And it says further, we don't have the verses here, but further it says in Acts 5.13, no one else dared join them. Oh, I'm not going to join that church. You get killed if you don't tell the truth. But it says in verse 14, then more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. So it worked both ways. You know what our problem is today? We take God casually, lightly, as if it's not so serious, just general. We live in a time when our devotion to God is not that important anymore. One of the phrases I haven't heard in a long time, but I used to hear it a lot, was, he's a pre-Christian. Hmm, pre-Christian. Where do pre-Christians go when they die? They're not Christians. They're unbelievers. They need love, compassion, and the message of repentance. You know, it's so easy to just have our cake and try to eat it too. I'm going to do a little demonstration here. This last week, I talked with one of our dear people in the church, and uh, she can't be here for a variety of reasons, and so um, I asked her if she would bake a cake for me. She decided to bake a cake for me. It's Tina Friesen, and she's a good baker. She does a wonderful job. Just hang this on here, maybe. And so I think every one of us would be, would be quite happy with this cake, right? I mean, who wouldn't want to take a slice? It's a beautiful cake, well-made, I would say, beautifully decorated. People pay big dollars for these cakes. Good money. 
But the problem is, what's it made of? Anybody guess? Styrofoam. Dollarama styrofoam. Would you want to take a bite? First you would pay money for it. Now I couldn't pay you to take a bite. You know, that's what the church has too much. Too much styrofoam. How much styrofoam could I put in your cake before you'd say I'm not eating it? Just, just a little percent? Just a little bit? If, if you would go to the store and buy a cake for, for a FOSPA this afternoon and, have, and say, well, this has 10% styrofoam, would you buy it? Of course not. I want the real deal. I want a real cake. I'll call this the Matthew 23, 35 cake. It's a, it's a fake cake. It's not edible. It's useless. It doesn't work. We have so many styrofoam Christians. And we all are styrofoam Christians at some point in our lives. We need to repent of that. We need to be honest. Like when we break a saw blade. When we lie on our books. We shouldn't do those things. It contaminates the church. And it's happening a lot in our, in our community. If the Christians can't be honest, then who in the world will be? Jesus never had harsher words than he had for people who were believers but not living up to it. Condemnation for the legalistic approach. They were saying, oh, you're breaking the law. You should do this and this. Wait a minute. What law are we talking about here? Man-made one or a God-made one? Let me read this poem that Tina wrote some time ago. And it's, I have this poem. And that's why I asked her to bake the cake. She says, uh, fake is shortening cake. And Tina's a good poet. She writes good poetry. And she said this. I worked at a bakery when I was young. Learned lots about how things are done. Shortening iced a styrofoam from cake. It was quite difficult and greasy to make. They decorated it just as pretty as you please. They added lace and flowers with ease. They put it on a case on display. And there it sat day after day. It was just a sample of what they could make. But in reality, it was just a beautiful fake. On Sunday morning, that's what I see. At church, there's only one place to be, one way to be. But during the week, I see lots of other ways that people seem to spend their days, not in worshiping or praising our Savior, but rather in fleshly and sinful behavior. Could it be that we're making a mistake and just living as another beautiful fake? Ananias and Sapphira, beautiful fakes. Looking good without being good. May God protect us from that. So how do you live real? With that, we'll close. How do you live real? Number one, come to Jesus. Come to the cross. He died and shed his blood so I could come clean. Honor that. Come to the cross, repent, confess, and then come clean. Don't try to hide. And then around us, people will see the difference. They'll see the fruit. Become a person of integrity. Do what we say we will do. Does it mean we will always get it right? No, we will falter and somebody will have to remind us and we work together, we get up and we move on. God knows the heart. And repent when we fall. Make sure that we live God-pleasing lives and the outside will look just as good as the inside. So this week, you want to be a person of integrity? Will you do the right thing, put God first? Or what will the record show? If you and I were a piece of cake, on whose plate would we go? May God help us. Let's pray. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning and for your word to us. Help us to be people of integrity who don't just look good, actually are good, who live lives of integrity and moral uprightness, honoring and worshiping you in all that we are and all that we do. Lord Jesus, we know that things will not always be easy, not always be clear, not always be discernible, even we will not always see it the same. But at the bottom end of things, we follow you and worship you with all that we have and all that we are. In your name we pray. Amen.